0: Hello and welcome to the on-time autism intervention podcast, a podcast for parents of children three and younger dedicated to providing accurate information about autism, autism intervention and guidance for your new path. This podcast is brought to you by the University of Washington's On-Time Autism Intervention or OTAI. We're a collaborative project led by the UW's Autism Center and Hearing Center for Inclusive Education. Our work is supported by the Seattle Foundation and aims to increase equitable access to timely diagnosis of autism spectrum disorder and evidence-based intervention for young children and their families. We are so glad you're here. All right. Welcome back to the On Time Autism Intervention Podcast. Hi, Jess. Hi, Ashley. I feel like it's been way too long since we have talked. Know. It has. It has. But we're back now. So that's good.
1: Yay. I'm really, really excited for this episode. Uh, and I think that our listeners, our moms or whoever else is listening <laughs> are going to be excited too. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about what we're talking about today. We're talking about speech language pathology, and we have an amazing guest joining us.
1: Yes, we have our very own UW Autism Center speech pathologist, Kelleen, who's going to be with us today. And you know, this this episode is really about the basics about about what speech pathologists do, speech language pathologists do, because I think you know that's one of the main therapies that our kids are going to access, and so we just really want families, uh, parents, to just have a really good understanding of of what it is. Um, so we're super excited. Welcome, Kellie.
2: Thank you.
0: Yay! Thank you. Yes, we are so excited, and we are going to break up our discussion of speech language pathology into two episodes. So as just mentioned today, we're just going to kind of do an overview, and our next episode will follow up with some more specifics about children under 3 and um kind of specific ideas, strategies, things like that that we might be looking for um and yeah. wondering about.
1: So let's get started. Let's just start, Kellyn, can you tell us in in a nutshell if possible, what <laughs> what what is a speech language pathologist?
2: So a speech language a speech-language pathologist is really, you know, a professional who is focused on an assortment of services that has to do with communication disorders, um, and within that also, as far as the pediatric realm goes, feeding Um So we see speech pathologists in many different contexts and um, settings, but always focusing on communication disorders and sometimes feeding um, in all different modalities. So looking at how you're understanding language, how you're using language. um, And then in our younger kiddos, it's looking at um, how you are doing with feeding.
1: Yeah. Interesting. You know, I don't want to get too far afield, but I, I always think because I'm always thinking about kids, about about speech pathology with children, and I forget that there are there's a whole field and there's a whole group of people who work with
2: adults. Yes, yeah. and a wide range of um, things with adults and kids. There's kind of lots of different specialties for speech pathologists, and we kind of find our niche. Some people do a lot of everything, um, but there's a lot of different options for. Speech pathologists.
1: Yeah, well, I know you work with people across the lifespan, but mm-hmm. we are we are going to focus today on on um, little ones since we're, yes. we're we're talking to parents of kids under three. Um, so, can you tell us what what what's the difference between speech, language, and communication?
2: Mm-hmm. That's a good question. And it's a question I get asked a lot because people hear um, speech pathologists and often referred to as speech therapists and think um, the speech side of it, which is articulation, the actual movements, the sounds that you are making to put together um, to make that word. So that speech is the actual sounds that come out to make a word um, where language is this kind of code that we all share that holds meaning. Um, so thinking about it, you know, it's a code that represents a concept that we all learn, we all share in order to have that meaning there. Um, and then,
0: so, so can I just interject? So if I, it's morning right now as we're recording this episode. So if I, (laughs) I'm talking about coffee. Coffee's the, the code for the delicious, warm, hot
2: drink thing you have. Yes. Mm -hmm.
0: But it only has meaning if you also know the meaning of that word coffee,
2: Mm -hmm. that's
0: language. Okay. Yes.
2: We've Mm -hmm. all kind of agreed on this thing that, um, the word coffee represents that brown liquid that you drink, um, or that when you add an ing to the end of an action word, that that means it's happening right now. Um, It's something that we've all agreed on, and it represents that thing. Um, Where communication is the actual exchange of those ideas. So you're taking that meaning, and someone else is understanding it in order to exchange that information. Mm -hmm. Um, You have to have someone else there for communication. It's between Mm -hmm. yourself and someone else. That's where the meaning actually comes across. So communication is the actual exchange of ideas. I say, I want coffee and you are understanding it and bringing me that brown liquid instead.
1: That's so interesting. So it's sort of three different components (laughs) that are separate, but important that we have all of them in combination but so so a child can have difficulties in one or all of those areas I bet yes okay exactly and, and, and as a speech pathologist you get training in addressing and using strategies for each of those different things
2: yes mm-hmm. yeah so kind of a well-rounded we're looking at all of those things and we're also always assessing all of those things um, at one time you're never just assessing language without looking at speech, um, because even those two things, which seem so separate can interact with each other, um, is someone leaving off that ing because they don't know that part of the code, or is it because they can't say that sound? Mm -hmm. Um, so you should always be assessing those two things because they are always interacting with each other and, um, together for communication.
1: Mm-hmm. One of the things I think I see most commonly in children under three, probably the most common presentation is a child who's not talking at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I often have kids who are talking. So they're using some words, um, but they're not necessarily directing them at people. And they're not, you know, that. so there's they're saying the words sort of out into the world. But it, it's not clear to me whether or not they're using them functionally to be able to communicate with somebody. Is that is that like a pretty common presentation that you see too?
2: Yeah, with that, we'd see that they're having difficulty with that social communication part mm-hmm. of it. Maybe they have the language, they're using language, but they're not using that to communicate. Mm-hmm. There's something with the social communication of, I have this meaning that I need you to understand. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of that missing piece that we see in those situations.
1: Mm-hmm. So so when you are um addressing the communication piece with with children, um is it is it both the verbal communication and the nonverbal communication then? Because because I think in that example, sometimes for me, you know, children are saying things, but maybe Mm -hmm. they're not looking towards an adult. They're not combining it with a gesture. So you're like, "Mm, is is this a communication or is this just a word that they're sort of stemming on? So Mm -hmm. yeah. Curious about that.
2: Yeah. So I think if I understand your question, like we, we talk about looking at communication in what we would call like multimodal communication. So Mm -hmm. any mode of communication we want, kids to be putting those together. We want them using gestures um, and using nonverbal communication. So that should always be targeted at the same time, especially because those are precursors to that spoken language um, and that social communication. We need those things there um, because you can't communicate with someone else unless your intention is for that person. And both people share that Mm -hmm. intention. Mm -hmm.
1: So, so, so there's the speech that's clearly around sort of motorically being able to make the sounds. Mm -hmm. There's the language, which is sort of the content of like sort of what you're saying. And then, and then the communication is, is those things plus some of those nonverbals making sure that you've gained your partner's attention and and in that back and forth social piece. Um, so is it sort of like increasing complexity then from speech to language to communication I don't know.
2: I wouldn't say it's increasing complexity um, speech can be very complex. Mm-hmm. It's more that um, that connection of knowing that someone else needs to understand your message. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So you can have a message, um, maybe it's to yourself, but understanding that you need to understand that message in order for us to be communicating Mm -hmm. that if I say cookie, I know that you're understanding that word and are going to bring me a cookie.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: That Mm -hmm. connection is that communication piece.
0: One of the things that I see a lot, um, and I think kind of hits on this, but leads us to our our next question too. Is it really young children diagnosed with autism can, if they learn, let's say, the sign more, it kind of becomes a magical sign, and it seems like maybe that's part of that, the code piece, the language piece, and the communication piece. So at first it's like this groundbreaking, you know, now I have this code and I can get the things that I need to get. Um, but it, it isn't specific enough. Can you talk a little bit about that and kind of like, I don't know, maybe what you would do if that was something that you, a pattern you were noticing for a young child?
2: Yeah. So all children learn language in that way. Um, We call it fast mapping. So you hear a word and you put it with that knowledge, or you see a sign and you put it with the knowledge that you have. I see someone make the sign more, and they got something. I hear the word more, and the thing increases. Um, But then we extend that map by thinking about what else that can apply to. using more in different situations or hearing another word or another request that gets that same thing done um where that might not that extending might not be happening in those situations i'm going to take the what i have and more becomes that concrete thing that got me what i wanted um And so they're going to use that all the time if they're not extending that map out. Mm -hmm. So in that case, what we would do is you really want to immerse them in that other language, um, honoring that communication because they are communicating something that works. It is communication, but showing them different ways to do that so oh yeah you want more here's cookies let's have some more cookies really giving them um alternatives and modeling things because we want them to be able to map those other words as well and make those connections Um, we
0: can't
2: yeah we can't expect kids to have language that they haven't been exposed to
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm
2: -hmm. we have to expose them to this other language in order Mm -hmm. to use it. And, um, for our kiddos with ASD, we often have to expose them to it a little bit more.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love that. And that similar to, you know, what I often tell parents too, and what we tell parents through our, our trainings and workshops at the autism center is, um, we talk about using really simple language, but really highlighting the important words. So if the child wants more cookies, then we're going to say, and and more is what they're using. We're going to say more cookies and really put the emphasis on that, that one extra word, keeping it simple so that it's kind of consumable and understandable. Um, Is that similar to?
2: Yeah. The one thing we do talk about that um, I always make sure to talk about with parents, because as parents and teachers and even professionals um we used to be taught you know go really simple which is really true go simple use the you know simplest sentence you can but that it should always be grammatically correct we used to be taught to use what's called telegraphic speech so you're you know put on table um because the kiddo might not be using the word the, or it's not that important, but research has shown that it is really important because again, we can't expect kids to learn language they're not exposed to. Um, So my biggest advice is to use simple language, but always make sure that it's um, a grammatical phrase or sentence. Um, Think, could I say this to another adult?
1: Ooh, that's a really good, that's such a good kernel of, of, uh-huh. uh, of information. But while I've got you on that, the other one that I, that we used to do a lot it has to do with pronouns, you know, mommy's <laughs> turn your turn. Yeah. Um, so, so in that case, do you recommend my turn, your turn? Not, not, not my, mommy's turn, Jessica's turn, your turn, my turn, your turn, or is that a tricky one?
2: My turn and your turn can be tricky because of that, um, that modeling kids have to be able to shift their perspective to understand mm-hmm. that my is always representing the person using it.
1: Oh, um, I mean, this is impossible. This concept yeah. is so it's <laughs> like one of, I say it's one of the miracles of development that kids yeah. somehow figure out how to do it. Cause I sure can't mm-hmm. teach it. It's really hard. But, but so would you, so, so back to the grammatically correct, it's mm-hmm. grammatically correct to say it's my turn. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. but, but, but so do you say that, or do you say it's I, Jessica's turn?
2: I usually say it's my turn because okay. that's how they're going to learn that, uh, pronoun. Mm-hmm. Um, but that also brings me to another thing that we often talk about, um, that becomes really important, especially for kids who use echolalia is that we say when you're modeling something we want Wait, to can say, you just
1: pause for one yeah. moment and explain what echolalia is to our listeners yes
2: yeah, so echolalia it can be immediate so you're repeating something directly after you hear it um if you ask a child do you want a drink of water and instead of saying yes they say do you want a drink of water that would be that immediate echolalia so they're repeating directly after they've said something you've said something um Or we see delayed echolalia, which is often, you know, repeating something from a routine. When they want to go outside, they might say, put your shoes on. um, Or use a phrase from a favorite TV show or movie. Um, So they're using something they've heard sometimes to communicate something um, and sometimes not.
1: I uh, interrupted um,
2: you though. Yeah. Yeah, No, that's okay. Um, in, in those cases, especially when you're kind of modeling something or giving them language, we want to say it as they would if they could. Um, because then when, when they repeat that back, they're repeating something that works for them. Um,
0: okay. so in, in the instance of, do you want water? You would instead Say I want water, or would you say, mm-hmm. "Do you want water?" Say yes. What, which one would you do, or what, you does would, it kind of depend?
2: Once they've kind of communicated, and you're giving them that model, you would say, "I want water," because you're giving them the model of what they could say or what you would like them to mm-hmm. say. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: that's awesome. It's a really, really hard job, Kellie, to <laughs> to teach. You know, to teach these concepts. It's really, really, it's really tough. i I bet it's super rewarding though.
0: <laughs>
2: yeah. very, very.
0: <laughs> yes. So one, I think we have one kind of one more really big question that we might mm-hmm. not totally be able to answer today, but it really, it leads into what our first question will be next time. Um, and just, I, I think it does anyway. And thinking about just the amount of knowledge that speech language pathologists have about language development, that is something that is completely unique to your profession. Can you tell us a little bit about language development under the age of 3? Maybe just maybe I mean I'm sure there's so much but like maybe yes. some sticky milestones that parents should be looking out for and yeah. Yeah.
2: So there is a lot but there are kind of some big things that we look at uh, especially in terms of es- expressive language, so the actual language you're using. Um so we first see babbling. Um, that's usually, you know, between seven to 10 months um, babbling starts. And as that develops, we start to see babbling um, around, you know, seven months to a year at 10 months that babbling should start to imitate what an adult sounds like. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to hear the word but the babbling's gonna sound a lot like an adult they'll it'll follow that same kind of speech pattern
1: and that Um, was at what age did you say it sounds like an adult kind of
2: around 10 months
1: okay wow wow Mm -hmm. yeah
2: um and then we also see as far as understanding that they're starting to um shift their attention They're starting as they're getting closer to a year, you know, maybe responding to a simple request or, um, you know, something like come here, um, things like that. And then around the age of one, you know, is when we should start seeing those first words pop up, um, between around 13 to 19 months, um, kids should have about 10 different words. Um, they're mostly names of things. So, you know, mom, dad, usually, you know, a name of one of their favorite items. It's usually ball. a name of something. Ball. Both yep. of my
0: kids first word ball
2: <laughs> bus is a big one. Um, always kind of, they're usually a name of something, not ball. an action. something more. Yeah. Not something more complex. Um, so then from there we see that grow to about 50 words, um, between 14 and 25 months. Um, so it goes from about 10 to 50. Uh, that's a huge explosion Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it's not even the biggest explosion yet. Um, yeah. So you have to have about, or usually you have about 50 words before you start combining them. Um, so this is, you know, we're getting close to that time where they're starting to combine two words together. Um, And what you brought up, Ashley, is that is a kind of a bigger jump. And it's important to realize that this growth in vocabulary or language, it's not a straight line. It's not, you know, linear. It doesn't go step by step. Um, Because when we get from that you know, at 14, we have about 50 words. At Between 18 and 24 months old, um, we see that jump to about 200 to 300 words. Um, it can wow. double, this giant kind of spurt can double in about two months, <laughs> their number of words. Wow. Um, so we usually see this really big jump around that time.
0: that's incredible.
1: And yeah. what what any any similar kinds of milestones with like gesture with nonverbal kind of gesture use like pointing like when does it when typically does does a child usually start to point?
2: Yeah, so pointing um starts around that kind of that 7 months to a year um mm-hmm. and we usually see understanding language being a little bit easier for kids first. Um so you'll see you know, being able to point to something um, in a book before you might be able to point to communicate. Um, And thinking about using gestures, kind of, it grows along that trajectory. And they are often using gestures before they use words to communicate. Mm -hmm. So we see that usually as kind of a backup plan. If you are, um, just a little bit behind or delayed in language, it might be that you're then using gestures to make up for that when you're not understood.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: That's a lot. Oftentimes kind of something that I explain, I find myself explaining to families that, um, you know, in a child who's not yet using words at say two, you know, we would expect them to really want to communicate and to mm-hmm. compensate for not being able to use words by using their bodies in all kinds of ways to get parents to understand what their needs are. And that's when you see all kinds of gestures and, and, yeah. and things like that. And, in it, and it sort of when a child doesn't use any gestures and mm-hmm. they're not using any words and they don't really seem to be trying to get messages mm-hmm. across that, that, that's often kind of what the, what the picture of autism looks like. Yeah. So interesting. Cool. Yeah. Well, any other things about those milestones that we want to talk about now or should we? I our think list? Yeah.
2: A Kind of just a, um, a, a little tidbit that we, tend to kind of, when remembering our milestones as far as, you know, putting words together and stuff like that, it's usually kind of correlates with age. So a one-year-old will be using one word to communicate. A two-year-old is usually putting two words together. A three-year-old, so up until the age of six, it actually um, corresponds pretty well with their age.
1: That's super cool. Mm -hmm. Really cool. Mm -hmm. Up until six. Okay. Okay. Um, I don't know. I, I know I heard some, there's a group that has a message out there. That's like 15, 15 gestures by 15 months or something too, that, um, I always struggled to like figure out what the exactly 15 gestures are, but, <laughs> but, um, but I I've heard that as a, um, thing to remember too, that by 15 months you should expect really a lot of gestures. Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah. Well, thank you this so awesome. much. Yeah. Thank you so I'm excited. much.
0: This, is- this has been so helpful and I'm really excited to have you back to, to dig a little bit more into, you know, I think this is such a good foundation for our listeners and um, really understanding what speech language pathology is. Mm-hmm. And next time we'll, we'll get into some specifics of, like what's the difference between an SLP and a BCBA Mm -hmm. or, um, you know, how might we work together and what are some really common goal areas for young kids? So, um, it's just been so wonderful to have your knowledge and expertise and we thank you for being here.
2: Yeah. Thanks for
1: having me. All right, Kelly, we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Have a good time.
0: Bye. 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 This podcast represents the opinions of doctors, Ashley Penny and Jessica Greenson, and our guests on the show, the content here should not be taken as clinical or medical advice and is for information purposes only because each child is so unique, please consult your healthcare professional with any specific questions, views, and opinions expressed on the podcast are our own while we make every effort to ensure that the information we're sharing is accurate. We welcome any comments, suggestions, or corrections of errors. This podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever, including, but not limited to establishing standard of care in a legal sense, or as a basis for expert witness testimony. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on the podcast. And in no way does listening, reading, emailing, or interacting on social media with our content establish a doctor patient relationship. Thank you.